Well, good morning and welcome to Faith Church. Glad you're with us today. My name is Matthew. If we have not yet met personally, uh, really glad to have you here today. Hey, if you have a copy of the scriptures, join me in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be. We're actually going to be several places looking at scripture today. So I hope you brought your Bible so that you can underline, mark some things, or a, a digital copy so that you can click around and find and highlight and uh, mark some things up there as well. We're going to study the Word today. We've been on a, a bit of a journey over the last several weeks in this collection entitled The Radiant People of God, looking at kind of uh, different scriptures throughout the Bible that help us understand this idea of being radiant. What does it mean to be the radiant people of God? What does it look like to uh, emanate the life and the joy and the brightness and the brilliance of the of the person of God in our world today. And I believe the life that God invites us into is more beautiful, more compelling, more, um, more wonderful than any other life or way of life or, or a pers- pursuit in life that we would maybe think about going in our world. And, and we want to look today at some, some things that the Apostle Paul writes. And we're going to actually take the next few weeks and really begin to explore the identity in Christ that is available to all who believe in Jesus. To become the radiant people of God means that we put on the life, the image of Christ, and we live that out as we grow and mature in Him. That we don't settle for anything less than what God has for us as we flourish in those things. And that's kind of where... We're going to begin and start to look at as we understand the world that we live in and understand how to be formed and live in the ways of Jesus as we take on his identity. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 10, and we're really going to be uh, studying the next 18 verses, uh, kind of slowly walking through it um, over the next few weeks together. Ephesians 10, starting in, or Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, this is what. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he says this, A final word, be strong in the Lord. Somebody say strong. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm. Somebody say stand firm. Against. All the strategies of the devil. So that you can stand strong against all the strategies of the devil. Let's pray. Lord, these are your words to us. Lord, these are your words of life for us. This is your word. And so, Lord, we want to... Open our hearts, open our ears, open our spirits to receive, God, what you want to say to us as we see the person of Jesus and grow in fellowship with your spirit today. In your name, amen. Radiant people are aware of the devil and his schemes. Now, we're going to... When I say the word devil, some of you have grown up not in church or maybe not studying the Bible. You're kind of new to following God or maybe new to just exploring the truths of what God's word says. You may have grown up in the church but never really learned much in scripture. Wherever you find yourself today, 
I, I want to be honest and articulate some things today that, that I do believe that there is a malevolent evil force out there known as the devil and all his henchmen. And there are uh, realities that we can see and realities that we cannot see in our world today. Now, Pastor, why do you believe that? Is that because you're superstitious? Is that because uh, you, you, you believe in the spirit element? Well, I'll tell you really why I believe these things. Because Jesus believed these things. And because Scripture reveals some things to us that we need to see and understand if we're going to be the radiant people of God who are strong in the Lord. Well, we need to, one, be radiant people who are aware of the devil and his schemes. Now, who is and what is the devil? Now, the best understanding I can give you is, to, is the word the adversary. Everybody say adversary. adversary. Now, the adversary is one who slanders God's character and causing us to not obey God's command. If you're in Ephesians chapter 6, put your hand there and then flip a couple pages to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. This is where, remember, Ephesians 6 is kind of the end of Paul's letter. So let's go to towards the beginning of Paul's letter and see how he introduces and sets up what he's saying here at the end. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, Paul says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. For those of you that have been following Jesus for a long time, growing up in the church, can I just maybe ask you to recall the moment when you surrendered your life to Jesus? That moment where you became new, the moment where you came up out of the waters of baptism, the moment where you remember receiving the life of God, the Spirit of God, those, those encounter moments that you've had with the Lord that have been transformative across your life. Can I, can I just implore with you for a minute to remember that we all used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature and by our own very nature. In other words, because you were born into this world, by your very nature, you too were subject to God's anger and wrath and judgment just like everybody else. There is this understanding that Paul is trying to help us understand that there is an adversary. Now, I want you to realize the word devil is not his name. It is a title or a function. Uh, there are different beings and angels and um, disembodied spirits referenced and mentioned throughout the scriptures, one of which is uh, someone by the name of Lucifer, who is a fallen angel. Uh, he would be the one that often we would think about and hear about or talk about as like the evil one or the enemy, the, the one who is out there, the, as uh, Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, the commander of the evil in the unseen world. Lucifer, a fallen angel, Often we refer to him as Satan, as kind of like a title, an understanding of who he is. But the devil is, a, is not a proper name. It's a title or a function. And in the Greek, um, the word devil is the Greek word diablos. And it simply means 
slanderer. To speak against. To speak against the character. To speak against who God is. In the very beginning when Adam and Eve were in the garden, there was the slithering being who came and with smooth words slandered the character of God, which led to a rebellion against God's ways. The same is true for you and me. We were born with a nature designed to rebel against God, to not go in his own ways, to, to live in the pattern of that thing. And, and so the enemy is the slanderous one who is wanting to cast dispersions upon God's character and cause you to doubt his power to save you. He's a slanderous one. He speaks evil and vile and lies and deceit. He wants to assault your very identity. He wants to hurl slanderous things at you. That is who we are talking about. And radiant people need to be aware of who he is and what he is and those beings and those spirits and the commands and, and, the, and the, uh, the host of evil that is out there existing around us. He is the devil. Again, a, a title or a function, not a proper name. Similar to how you would refer to as the lawyer or the doctor said. That's not their name. It's their function. It's their, their element. It's, it's, it's what they do. It's how they operate. And, and often, I think lawyer is a great example for us in this case because a slanderer is one who would stand and prosecute another. To stand in court and be like, no, 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 I saw them. They did this. They are like this. And create reasonable doubt upon to the character and the ability of those being accused. This is what the enemy wants to do in your life. What the slanderer, the adversary is trying to do. And Paul is writing and saying, hey, you need to be strong in the Lord and it is mighty power. And put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the enemy. This whole armor of God is he's using and will use. And we're going to get into it in the next few weeks. But he's using armor pieces in a Roman soldier's armor as indicators and, and kind of a, as a guide to help you and me and followers of Jesus to understand your identity in Christ that you put on. See, all through the New Testament, the writers will write and say things like, put on Christ. Be renewed in the image of who Christ is. Be transformed in your understanding and knowledge of Jesus Christ. In other words, there is an identity that you have available to you as a Christian, as a Christian, as a little one of Christ. That you're called to walk in every single day. And many of us get stuck where we want to receive the power of salvation, but not be transformed into the radiant people of God. And so we live radioactive in our world rather than transformed into the ways and the life of who Jesus has called us to. Satan, the adversary, the enemy, wants to slander and accuse you and convince you that God's character cannot be trusted and that you are not made new in who Christ is. And he is coming for your identity, who you are, what makes you you, the beauty and the image of God that you were created to reflect but have been marred in the process. He's coming at you. See, see one of the areas that the enemy wins the battle is over your identity, 
over who you think you are, over who God has made you to be. And these lies and these accusations come as he slanderously convinces you that you're not forgiven. He slanderously convinces you that you're not righteous, that you're not saved, that God's work isn't real, that, that it's really God's fault that you're feeling the way that you feel and that you're dealing with what you're dealing with. And he is slanderously convincing you against and casting dispersions upon the character and the person of God. This is who the adversary is, and we want to be aware of who he is, and we also want to be aware of his schemes of his tactics, of his ways in which he has a strategy to advance against you. Jesus said that this thief came to steal, kill, and destroy you in your life. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life to the full. And so how is it that the enemy is trying to scheme and trap and trick you? What is he after? What's his game plan? What's, what is the play that he's running? What are the X's and O's of the adversary? How do we know? Is he in a, is he in a, a man-to-man? Is he uh, attacking the zone? Is he playing the triangle? Is he, is he playing a, a give-and-go? Is he running a screen, pick-and-roll? What, what is it that he is running so that you can stand against those schemes, so that you can properly defeat and win against the enemy of your soul? What are the schemes of the devil? Here are the schemes of the devil. Are you ready? It are lies that play to our disordered desires, which are normalized in a sinful society. This is the scheme of the enemy. He doesn't have any other tricks. This is his one play. He's been running it from the beginning of time, and it's pretty effective. Until you recognize who he is, understand his schemes, and receive the identity of Christ and can stand against it properly. These are his schemes. Now, this wording is not uh, of my own. I, I, um, I read a book recently uh, within the last couple of years uh, by John Mark Comer called Live No Lies, and he succinctly termed these three components to the schemes of the enemy, and it was brilliant and wonderful, and it bears witness with what Scripture says. The enemy comes to lie. Those lies play to the disordered desires that are already within you, your nature born with. And it is normalized in a society of sinful living, so we think it is normal, and we continue on with it again and again, unaware that it is. In his book, he, he summarizes it like this. We all live by what psychologists call mental maps of reality. These thoughts that we have, these, these in, 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 insights and things in our minds. He, he says these reference points in our minds by which we navigate the world. Neurobiologists talk about the human mind as wired for story. Sociologists talk about our world view. If our mental maps are true, they correspond to a reality. Uh, similar to a data point on a GPS that you input and you get into your car, step onto the bus, and minutes later you arrive at your destination because those mental maps correspond to reality. But if your mental maps are untrue, if they don't correspond to reality, we end up lost in a dystopian wasteland of bad cell coverage and glitchy Google Maps, a terrifying experience for all, to be sure, he says. Dallas Willard defends this idea as, and defines this same idea as assumptions about reality. They are working theories usually based on some kind of evidence or experience about how life actually works. 
The wonder of the human person is our ability to hold in our minds ideas that correspond to reality and simultaneously holding ideas that, cor- that do not correspond to reality. What an amazing thing. In other words, your imagination, your thoughts, your mind maps, your imagination is the incubator for your faith and fidelity in Jesus to believe in him. But hear me, your thoughts can also create illusions that incubate a rebellious attitude and an infidelity towards God. To live in a way that is contrary to the things of God. To live in that way. Our minds and our thoughts are spaces of inspiration. Friends, hear me. When we talk about hearing the voice of God, the primary way in which God speaks is through inspired thought in your mind. This this thought that happens and echoes within you, it's the whisper of a God who is close that inspires this and creates this, this thought within you. That's the primary way in which we hear the voice of God. This is why it's so important that we read God's word because reading God's word creates thoughts in our mind and those thoughts in our mind cultivate the way in which we live our life abroad. It's it's about coming back to those moments of inspiration and the enemy knows this is how God created you. And so his scheme is to use the vehicle God created to help you grow in him to also help you rebel against him. He's using God's design against God's intent. He's giving lies that play to disordered desires within us And are normalized in a world that we look around and be like, oh, it's normal to feel this way. It's normal to think this way. It's normal to act this way. This is just what it means to live in such a space. The problem is that those lies that play to our disordered desires and are normalized in a sinful society create in us some blind spots. Create in us a hardness of Heart. If you're in Ephesians 6, still flip over a couple pages or a page to Ephesians 4. Look at how Paul says it in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 18. He's talking about those who don't follow God, those who are not in covenant with God, those who have not been redeemed and set free by Jesus, talking about those uh, who are not followers of Jesus. He says it like this, their minds are full of darkness. Verse 18, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against God. They have no sense of shame. They just continue to live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Their minds have been darkened. In other words, their reality maps in their brains, their minds, their thoughts have become so convinced of one way of thinking that they have now lived in and live out the disordered desires and have created a normal society of sin that lives against the ways of God. 
this is what's happening. This is the enemy's world. And, and he says their minds have been darkened. They've become hopelessly confused, fully convinced that this is the right way to live. In fact, in uh, Romans chapter 1 and 2, Paul writes to the church in Rome and he says, and God has given them over to their debased minds, to their minds that have become so darkened, fully convinced that this is the way to life, but it's actually just creating more death within them. Because this is how the enemy works. He lies that plays to disorder desires that are already within the inside of you. And it is normalized in a society of sin all around you. Jesus in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 uh, in verse 44. If you have the Fresh Start Bible, it's, it's page 928. John 8, Jesus is having a conversation. And Jesus, who was from the beginning, who was sent from God, who who uh, came from the unseen to the seen realm of our world and our life, who came from God in heaven, he says this to people. He, look, listen to what he says about the enemy and the adversary and his schemes. He says, for you are children of your father, the devil, which is right in line with what Paul just said in, in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you, you keep following the patterns and the schemes and the tricks and the, the ways in which the enemy wants you to work, and, and you've become... Uh, you've given yourself in disobedience to live according to this way, given over to these things. He says this, for you are children of your father, the devil, and you love to do evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and a father of lies. In other words, every offspring of his life is a lie and a deceit and has led to a rebellion against the ways of God. For, and Jesus would come back and he would say, yeah, but, but, but I want you to know that you can know the truth and the truth that you know will set you free. You don't have to live in this way anymore. You don't have to live controlled by the schemes of the enemy you can live in a way to which you are aware of the enemy's tactics and you're living out the truth of what God has called you to live. You're living out who Jesus has called you. You can put on the full armor of God, therefore, and be strong against the schemes that the enemy has. You can know his play before he even breaks the huddle and you know what he's going to run and you can walk out in a different light. In the very beginning... When the enemy was trying, the adversary, the slanderer, was trying to convince Eve to disobey God's commands, he didn't come with weapons of mass destruction. He didn't come with pitchfork and a red cape. He didn't come foaming at the mouth with eyes rolled back, acting like some crazy person. He came with an idea. He came with some insight. He came with a word that created an illusion in her mind. He created this illusion within her. M. Scott Peck, in his groundbreaking book, The People of the Lie, calls the devil a, re a real spirit of unreality. His second and even more interesting conclusion was that the way people become evil is through lies. John Mark Comer summarizes it in his book this way. He says, for example, suppose you believe the lie that you are unlovable. 
wherever you picked it up in your life journey, be it a broken relationship with your parents, a breakup, a failure, a demonic deposit into your mind, or anywhere, then if you let that lie into your body, into your neurobiology, you let that lie give shape to your behavior. Because you don't believe you are worthy of love, you let people treat you in ways that are disrespectful or demeaning. Or you act in ways that are disrespectful or demeaning. If you live into this lie long enough, tragically, what was false starts to become true. You eventually become the kind of person that is not worthy of love and respect, and you alienate yourself from the very relationships you crave. I do need to say, though, like all wounds to the soul, this can be healed through loving relationship and truth. Ideally, through the loving relationship with God, whom Jesus called Father and his family, the church, and through the truth of your identity as daughter and sons of God. There are lies, and when the enemy is lying and whispering, he's trying to create a different identity within you to lead you down a way, to lead you down a road. This is his scheme to get you to discount the character of God, to discount God's ability to save and redeem and make you whole, and to discount your ability to live a life different, more victorious, more radiant than what you've already experienced thus far in your life. And the radiant people of God have to be aware that this is his scheme, that this is his play, that this is what he does and who he's at. And, and can, can, I just, can I just break it down for you in real, real practical sense? The lies that we believe that we come face with don't start with some grandiose thing like, it's not like you wake up one day and be like, huh, there is no God, the earth is flat, and uh, I'm an alien from Mars, right? Like, you don't just wait, like, the lies that impact our life are much more personal, much more transactional, much more crucial to your identity. The lies we face often become these strongholds that cause us to seem to never be able to get out of patterns of thinking, get out of patterns of behavior, getting out of patterns of broken relationships, getting out of patterns of always getting fired from your job, getting out of patterns of addiction that holds you bound and held back, getting you out, not keeping you from getting in patterns of spiritual formation that allow you to read the word and follow the Lord and give your whole heart and life to Him. They cause and impact your life in what feels like normal societal ways. To where we go back and say, well, there's no sense in trying. Let's just make the best of this moment. Rather than pressing through to experience the beauty and the radiance of God. See, the lies we come face to face with sound like this. It's, it's grown men who were berated by their father and they come to believe that I'm only as good as I am successful at work. The lies we face are the ones that are the teenage girl who comparing herself to the mirage of Instagram comes to believe I am ugly and unworthy of love. See, the lies that shape our identity are the ones that it's a pastor who was a high-energy child regularly scolded by her parents who now believes I'm a bad person and need to make up for it. It's the entrepreneur whose prior businesses failed after the betrayal of their partners who now believes everything they do will fail. 
It's the middle-aged woman who was raised by an angry, perfectionist mother and decades later still believes, I have to be perfect in order to have peace. Lies that play to disorder, desires that are normalized in us in a sinful society that keep us radioactive instead of being transformed to the radiant people of God. That to borrow the image that we've used all throughout this collection that gets you to bail on being immersed in the vinegar and you stay a cucumber wanting to pretend you're a pickle though rather than actually being transformed in the life and the ways of Jesus Christ. Because we come up against these ideas that just seem so otherworldly, doesn't it? The devil, I mean, come on. Really? Lies, really? I mean, come on. It's just a different way of thinking, isn't it? But, but, but what if there is a real malevolent spirit and attitude behind it trying to convince you that you'll never get better, trying to convince you that the only way to do it is to make yourself feel better any way you can, to get convince you that all you are is a broken set of goods that no one could love again. See, there's a lot more at stake than what you might think at first. And Paul is writing to the church, and he's saying, finally, I want you to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And I want you to put on the armor of God because that's your real identity that God is shaping you into. But as you put on the armor of God, before you do that, here's why it's important. You need to understand the schemes of your adversary who wants nothing but to still kill and destroy your life. And if he can get you stuck and stalled out thinking that you're growing in your faith, but you're only repeating the same year of maturity, he'll gladly do it. If he can get you so distracted that you are no longer disciplined and growing in the ways of God, he'll do it. If he can get you to think that you're forgiven, but still living like a sinner, he'll gladly do it. If he can convince you that the real way to God and the real way to living a life that's victorious is to live politically charged in a way that gives more humans power than surrender to God, he'll gladly convince you to do it. Lies that play to the disordered desire that's already inside of you, normalized in a world around you. And that's why the apostle Peter would write in 1 Peter something very, very similar to what Paul wrote in Ephesians 6. Let's look at that together. 1 Peter chapter 5. If you have the Fresh Start Bible, it's uh, page 1,102. And then we'll go back to Ephesians 6 in just a second. So we're talking about being aware of the schemes of the enemy. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Now, if you have time, go back and read all of 1 Peter, or, or at least 1 Peter chapter 5. But, but let me point out just a couple verses to what Peter is saying at the conclusion of his writing he says this, verse 8, stay alert. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> alert, alert. All right, are we tracking? You like everybody awake now? All right. Pull the fire alarm in your soul and be alert of something. What does he want you to be alert? Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. The diablos, the slanderer, the one who wants to whisper things and point out things in the world as to why you can't trust God. 
and why God is to blame and why you shouldn't give your life to God and why it's a waste of time and why you're better off just feeling and soothing the pain of your life and just accepting that you're broken and never will get better. Just be convinced that God's not going to help you financially. Just be convinced that he doesn't have power to heal. Just be convinced that what you've done is unforgivable. Be convinced. Stay alert and be aware that the slanderer, the devil of your great enemy, for he prowls around like a roaring lion. He's not a lion. He doesn't roar like a lion. He's just like one. I've said before, he's like a pussycat with a megaphone. Meow! And just amplifies it so you think it's a roar of a lion. Oh, but he does have some power, though, and that's why he's warning you. For he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, looking for someone to buy another lie, to hold on to a way of life that isn't true. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Somebody say strong in your faith. Remember the family of believers all over the world is going through this same kind of suffering that you are. Peter says be strong in the Lord. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians 6 and he says in verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You're going to see again and again this idea of standing firm, standing strong, standing in battle, standing alert and aware, not lulled to sleep, but awake and alert. We have to be careful to not get lulled to sleep by illusions and lies to where we dismiss and dismantle things accuse things, walk in a way that is contrary to the identity and the calling of the people of God. We have to be careful not to do that. Listen, friends, here's really the second point today. The first was we have to be aware of the schemes. Here's the last point. Radiant people are to be strong, don't miss this, in the Lord. Not strong because you're strong, but strong because he's strong. Strong in the Lord. Strong in Christ. You have a bright future, not because you're so amazing, but because you put your trust in Jesus. You and I were depraved. You and I were darkened in rebellion. But we can be strong in the Lord instead. We had hard hearts. Oh, but now we can have soft, tender hearts before the Lord, growing in the ways of God. And we can become radiant when the rest of our world wants to live radioactive. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Let me give you three things as it relates to the strength of the Lord. Number one, the Lord wants to give you strength for the battle. He wants to give you strength for the battle. Uh, you don't have to turn there. Let me read it to you real quick. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says this, And now you have also heard the truth, the good news that God has saved you. And when you believed in Christ, when you gave your allegiance and oath of fidelity to Jesus Christ, 
He identifies you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. This is the good news of the grace of God. This is the good news of what Jesus did at the cross. This is the good news of Jesus being ascended on high. This is the good news of him sending down the Spirit on Pentecost for his people The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us an inheritance. He promised that he has purchased us to be his own people. And he did this so that we would praise and glorify him. He wants to give you strength for the battle. Nehemiah 8 and verse 10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Psalm 1611 says, In your presence is fullness of joy. One of the reasons the evident fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. Why? Because if you are not walking in joy, you are self-sabotaging some of the strength God wants to supply to you for the battle that you're already in and whether you realize it or not. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, I don't really have much joy. That's because you're not in worship very often. You're singing other songs. I'm just trying to help you. Why do we worship? Why do we sing? Why do we say things like, this is how I fight my battles? Because you're in a battle. And And the Lord wants to give you strength to stand in the midst of the battle. And one of the things that he's given us in the battle is our song of praise to the Lord remembering and singing and declaring and exalting the one who is strong, the one who is over all. It's the Lord who gives us strength for the battle, and it's found in his presence. It's found in the joy of the Lord. It's found in laughter that is good medicine for your toxic soul. It is found in the moment of being with the Lord where he alone can do something in you that you couldn't do alone. Why do I want to smile all the time? Oh, because that's the silent indicator that I got strength that doesn't belong to me. It's the Lord who gives us strength for the battle. It's his strength. What else does he give us for this battle that we're facing? These enemies, these lies, these things that are distorting and trying to trick us and convince us that that we're not worthy, trying to convince us that we're still sinful, trying to convince us that we have to be radioactive instead of radio, trying to convince us that we're defeated and a victim all the time, trying to convince us of things. Well, the Lord gives us strength for the battle, but the Lord also gives us authority for the battle. He gives you some authority. The authority that he's given you. It's Christ's authority on loan to you for the duration of your time on the earth. It's not your authority. You don't own it. It's delegated to you by Jesus. It's Jesus' authority. That's why the power is in his name, not in your name. It's in his name that every knee will bow. What does the scripture say? On earth and those under the earth. Those that are seen and those that are not seen. It's his name. At his name, darkness has to flee. It's at his name. 
He's given us authority for the battle. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1 goes on to say this. I also pray that you will understand. You have the right mental maps, the right understanding, the right imagination. Not an illusion, but an imagination, a holy imagination. I pray that you would understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That's the unseen realm. Now he is far above. Oh, not even close. It's not even a close second. He's so far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world that is to come. And God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things. Why? For the benefit of the church. For the benefit of the people of God who are called to be radiant in a radioactive world. For you and I to become strong in the Lord, we have to recognize that he's given us an authority that belongs to him on loan for, from him for him and his glory and his name. It's a delegated authority. James chapter 4 says this. Resist the enemy. Resist the slanderer. Resist the whispers of the lies. Resist the evil forces. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist him. How does he come to you? With thoughts. I don't know. Maybe this is why mindset matters. Resist the enemy and he will flee. Why? Because you have authority. You have authority to say, no, 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 that's not a true thought. You can take that thought captain and be like, no, 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 I'm not a loser. I'm not, I'm not unforgiven. I've been forgiven. No, 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 I don't, I don't have to, to give in to that temptation. That's not who I am anymore. It's not who God's made me to be. No, 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 I'm not. I'm in process. I'm more than a Christian. I'm, I'm more than an, I'm overcoming in who Christ has made me to be. It's his power. It's his authority. It's his strength for the battle. I don't have to live. We can resist the enemy and he flees. But, but you can also rebel against the commands of God and invite him in. So you can partner with the enemy or you can resist the enemy. We have to be aware of the schemes, of his tactics, of what he's doing. That he's like a roaring lion, not quite a roaring lion, just kind of like it. He's ish, a lion, a lion-ish. But Christ in you is more than enough. See, the Lord gives us strength for the battle. The Lord gives us authority for the battle. And the Lord wants to give you assistance for the battle. What's the assistance? It's the people sitting next to you. 
See, the assistance for the battle isn't so that you can go lone ranger it and be like a silent ninja that works all by yourself and the against the enemy. It's an understood, understood subject, you, in this sentence. You be strong in the Lord. But it's not an individual you, it's a corporate you. That's why Peter wrote and says, hey, and remember, all of the other believers are in this battle with you. You're not on your own. If you've been trying to fight and do it on your own, then you need to lower your pride and ask for some help. James chapter 5 and 1 Peter chapter 5 also says to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that then you can, as you cast your cares on the Lord, He's going to care for you. One of the ways you cast your cares on the Lord is gathering with other believers and saying, I'm, de- I'm feeling defeated and I need help. And they pray. They speak life over you. They speak scripture to you. They help you reorient the mind maps of your brain to reality anchored in the truth of God's word. You are not alone. Pastor, why are you getting so worked up? Because your lies are pretty loud. And I want to make sure you are hearing the truth today. You're not alone. He's given you assistance. I love how at the end of in verse 18 of, of Ephesians 6, he actually adds, praying always with all kinds of prayers with the saints and for the saints. Being watchful. Who's being watchful? The person sitting next to you is being watchful. The person in front of you is going to be watchful. Your pastors are being watchful. We want to continue to contend for the truths of God's word to shape and form us so that we don't fall into the traps of the enemy. So when he says, you be strong in the Lord, he's trying to say, you all be strong in the Lord together. It's the prayers of many. It's the faith of many. You don't feel very faithful to the Lord this week? Reach out to somebody and say, I just don't feel very faithful to the Lord. I want to be more faithful. Great, let's be faithful together. We're going to do it. You're not alone. Sometimes it's just uncovering the darkness and the silence that helps expose it into the light enough that actually is the place that's going to give you the strength to move on. Oh, you can be strong. Victory belongs to the Lord. Let me rephrase that. Victory belongs to the people of the Lord. We are his workmanship. We are created in the image of God. We are called to be radiant together. You're not alone, friends. Christ in you is stronger than the enemy around you. Christ, his body around you is stronger than the enemy coming against you. Can we stand? bow your heads just for a minute 
And here when we dismiss, well, our prayer team, they're going to be available to be ready to pray with you, to encourage you, to stand with you. But here in this moment, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's he whispering to you? What's, what's the truth that's been combating within you? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us today? What's the truth that we need to hold on to today? Father, today I pray that you would raise up a song within your people this week. A song of praise to our God. A hymn of worship to you, O Lord. That we would draw strength from the presence of God living in us, being experienced around us, and convinced through the lyrics and the songs that we sing. Father, we want to honor you and glorify you. We want to move in your direction. We thank you, Lord, that we can be strong in the Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's speak faith and blessing and the life of God over each other as we pronounce the benediction and blessing over one another. It's on the screen. Say it nice and strong with me. Ready, go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, we're available. We want to do it. We love you. Go in God's grace and peace this week. I really hope today's message was life-giving. As a church, we want to help you encounter God and take another next step in your allegiance to Jesus. I want to ask you to take a step right now, in fact. Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link. Just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub faithchurchks.org you'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him hey we love you and until we get to hang out again remember don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus